I, I moved up here uh, about a year and a half ago and uh, been enjoying it ever since. So uh, it, it's, it's been a well-kept secret, you know, so I, I hope it stays a well-kept secret and not too many people find out. About it. I'm glad I found out about it. So anyway, um, I want to talk to you today about God has a plan. And, and I, I think it's something that, that uh, all of us, uh, probably in the back of our mind, realize to some degree. God's always had a plan. You know, the, the first part of his plan, he planned the creation of the universe. And then he planned the creation of our earth. And then he planned the creation of human beings created in his image to populate this earth. But that's usually where it stops with a lot of people. They don't take the next step, which says God has a specific plan for each one of us as individuals. We weren't created just to take up space here uh, and, and live our lives and then pass on uh, with our children taking our place. He has a purpose for us being here. And I want to start by Jeremiah 29, verses 11, where he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then he says this, I will be found by you. So, in God's plan, the first thing he wants for his people is for us to prosper. And, and I know a lot of people just start thinking dollar signs, you know? But, but that's not what prospering is all about. Um, John, in his third epistle, puts it like this, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in good health. So, all and that's what you were talking about, so we could be in good health. Um, our little health nugget there. God wants you to prosper, and then he adds this. He says, I want to give you hope and a future. Our world today is lacking hope. They're scared. People are scared. Their lives are filled with fear. They don't understand that there is a pathway through that fear. Uh, and then he says, if you will seek him every day, if you will seek a relationship with God, his promise is to you that you'll find him, that you'll find him. When you pray, when you talk to God, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, that your prayers just kind of go up into the rafters and they rattle around there and you think God never heard them. He says, when you pray to me, I will listen to you. So all of God's creation uh, has a purpose, and it finds its purpose in him. And that's why Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord has made everything for his own purpose. And then in Paul, saying in Romans 8, says, we've been called according to that purpose. God has made every life, your life, my life, is all about God. It's not about me. Everything that you do, everything that you engage with is all about God, or at least it should be. We were made for his purposes. We were called to fulfill those purposes. 
And guess what? This is the thing that's really incredible to me. These purposes that God had for our lives were in existence before he ever made this world. Paul says in Ephesians 1, long ago, even what? Before he made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Stop and think about that for a minute. Before he made the world. Before he made the world, you, living in the 21st century, existed in his mind. Isaiah 44, 2 says, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. David says in Psalms 139, you scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. And then Paul comes along in Ephesians 1, 11 says, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. Only in Jesus Christ do you find your purpose. Unfortunately, when I was growing up, I never heard this. Back in the 50s and the 60s, this was not something that was being taught from behind the pulpit. I didn't learn it at home. I didn't learn it at church. I didn't learn it in 16 years of Adventist education. Never heard these texts mentioned ever. The first thing that I started getting an inkling that there was something more beyond what I had been taught was at Lost Sierra College when Maury Vendon became our pastor. And all of a sudden, a whole new vista opened up. But here's the neat thing. Even though I didn't realize it and I wasn't taught it, imperceptibly, God was working out his plan and purpose for my life. I wasn't even aware of it. And one of the things that I discovered about that plan was he wanted me to be a witness for him. And that was for our text that was read for our scripture this morning, Isaiah 43, 10. He says, you are my witnesses, O Israel. You've been chosen to know me, to believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, there never will be. I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God says, you're going to receive power from me, from my spirit when he comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. I don't know what your background is. I don't know how you were raised. But slowly in my mind, I began to understand what God wanted. See, wh what is a witness? You know what a witness is, don't you? When you go to, uh, uh, when you're called to witness in a trial, you're called to testify to what? What you've, well, yeah, the truth, <laughs> the truth. But you're called to testify what you have seen and what you have heard concerning whatever the situation is. Witnesses are not allowed to speculate on what they thought they saw or what they thought they heard. But I want to tell you something. Witnessing for Jesus Christ goes much deeper 
than just telling people about Jesus. John had an insight into this in 1 John 1, 1, where he says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of God. Witnessing for the disciples was sharing how their lives had been affected by Jesus. Not just what they had seen, not just what they heard, but what they had personally touched and handled. Let me give you a homespun illustration of this. Suppose I'm going to witness to you about this great company I know about. I'm going to tell you everything about this company. They, they sell a phenomenal product that is guaranteed to grow hair on your head. <laughs> Instant success, right? So I spend every spare minute of my time learning everything I can about this company. I learn about how big it is, how financially secure it is, its growth potential. In fact, one of the things that I stumble across in my studies is that a few years ago, this company was listed as the fastest growing company in the whole entire country. I become so convinced about this company and their great product and what a wonderful bunch of people they are that they make me their official spokesperson. There's only one problem. I've never used their product. I'm still bald. Their product hasn't changed my life one iota. But because I know so much about it, and I have this innate ability to convince people that they need to buy this product, that they make me their official spokesperson for their company. You know, it's kind of like uh, teaching an Eskimo how to make ice, you know. Um. See, here's the deal. That's not a good definition of witnessing. In fact, it's a lousy definition. What real witnessing would be like would be this. Let me tell you about this great product that I found, this company that I found. I have used their product every day, and look at me. I got a full head of hair. So I show them the before pictures, and I show them the after pictures, and I say, man, you got to try this product. That's a positive witness, right? All right. Well, it works the same way with God and Jesus and the Bible. You can know everything there is to know about God. You can know everything there is to know in this book. You can know it backwards and forwards, inside and out. But I want to tell you something. Witnessing is not just about sharing about God. It's sharing about how the God of this book has changed your life. And too often times, we get that all mixed up. It's, it's talking about how your life has personally intersected with God. How your life has been touched by His grace and His mercy. How your life has been changed from being self-centered to giving. How your life has had a heart transplant like Ezekiel 36 26 says, I'll give you a new heart, 
Jesus says, with new and right desires. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will obey my laws and do what I command. See, my witness, my sharing, has to be grounded and seated in the fact that God has done something in my life. How he has changed me. Now, if you want to give somebody a Bible study, give them a Bible study. Don't call it witnessing. And, and, and hear me out on this. Witnessing only becomes witnessing is when I can tell a person through my Bible study how that Bible study has changed my own life. If that Bible study has not touched my life, it for sure isn't going to touch your life. And to just be convinced of a teaching in God's Word without your life having been changed by that Word, the person you're talking to will smell through that in a heartbeat. It only becomes witnessing when you share the changed life that goes with the Word. Make sense? Okay. So having said that, that that's the preamble to my sermon. <laughs> See what time is it? Oh, I got a few minutes left. Oh, wait, wait a minute. You guys haven't set your clock back yet. I'm already 40 minutes over time. <laughs> I want to tell you, I want to share with you my witness, my, my story, just a part of it. Because if I shared the whole thing, we'd still be here next week. And you would want to go home and eat, I think. I was born and raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home. But for whatever reason, with me, it didn't take. I knew a lot about God. I was taught all about the Bible doctrines. But somehow, I never knew him as a personal friend. If, if I could describe my life's journey... It would be like this. Once my life was devoid of God, but now it's filled with God. Once I was walking away from Him, now I'm walking towards Him. Once I was lost, now I've been found. Once my life had no direction or purpose, but now I've discovered God's purpose for my life. I've been walking with God for 50 years. I've been a minister for 38 years. And a change is coming. In a month and a half, I'm retiring. And uh, a new part of my life is going to begin. But for today, I want to start this story back at the beginning. Fourth grade elementary school at Orangewood Elementary in Garden Grove. During that year of school, I was baptized. Uh, I was nine years old, and you know why I got baptized? Because everybody else was getting baptized. Pastor had his baptismal class for all the junior age kids, and if you were going to be part of this, the group, then you got baptized. Knowing God, having a relationship with God, never entered the equation. I was told everything that I needed to believe in, all the doctrinal stuff. I knew all that, but I didn't know Jesus. So I was baptized. 
You see, for me at that time in my life, church was all about having fun. You go to church to meet all of your school friends that you didn't see since Friday, and you had fun. Well, I made it through the fourth grade, and I made it through the fifth grade. In the sixth grade, something really interesting happened to me. A new girl came to our school. That, 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 at sixth grade, I'm noticing a new girl, right? Uh, that, that's weird. Uh, I became a secret admirer of her. Um, and I don't know if she ever knew how I felt at that point in my life. Her name was Kay. And um, I felt strangely attracted. She was really an outgoing, bubbly person. And she's just a lot of fun to be around. In fact, I wanted to be around her so much that when we would have activities at the school, I would always make it my study to, I, I was never noticed. You know, I, I never, I don't think I ever popped up on her radar. So I would go with her sister just so I could be in the same car with her when we'd go to ice skating or whatever we did. Well, so we did sixth grade together, we did seventh grade together, we did eighth grade together, and we did ninth grade together. Started our sophomore year at Orangewood Academy, and she, her dad, and her mom took off. Her dad got a calling to go back to North Carolina to be a dean at a boarding academy, and she was gone. And so my life was all about having fun, and so I had fun, you know, my sophomore year, my junior year. Um, for those of you that are familiar with Southeastern's uh, school system and whatnot, every January we would have a big uh, spiritual convocation up at Cedar, uh, not Cedar, <laughs> not Cedar Falls, Pine Springs Ranch. <laughs> Get the wrong conference there. Pine Springs Ranch. And um, I went in my junior year to the spiritual convocation up at Pine Springs. I had so much fun that they said they would never let me go back again. <laughs> so, um, I finished my junior year. And during the summer of my junior year and senior year, between the two, um, Kay comes back to Orangewood Academy because she wanted to graduate with her class that she had been with since the sixth grade. And so then I started plotting my strategy. And uh, one thing led to another to another. And uh, beginning of our senior year, I began dating Kay. And uh, she was a lot of fun. I was attracted to her, but at the same time, there was something pushing me away, and I, I didn't understand that initially. And then I finally discovered that uh, she was spiritual, and I wasn't. She was all about ministering to people, and I was all about ministering to myself and having fun. And uh, the tension just started building month after month until... It was time for our spiritual convocation back up at Pine Springs Ranch, the one that I was forbidden to ever go to again. And I wanted to go, and so I signed up 
And the principal calls me into the office and he says, Tom, uh, you can't go. And I said, oh, I have to go. (laughs) Did I care about the spiritual part of that? No, I just wanted to be with Kay. (laughs) You got to let me go. Do you know, uh, I don't know to this day how this happened, but uh, I talked him into it. But I had to sign, get this, I had to sign a release form stating that I would behave myself <laughs> at, at Pine Springs Ranch. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so they let me go. And we went up, I think, on a Thursday, and then we were there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday night, they had a, um, a meeting uh, The guy that was presenting the talk, I think, was John Lohr. And uh, the talk was all about Jesus Christ's second coming. And as I sat there, there was something beginning to stir inside of me. Because by this time, I was beginning very well aware that there there was a divide between Kay and myself that I knew was not gonna end well. But I was sitting there listening and uh, you know how they do with these things? They had a call at the end of the, uh, um, the talk. And all these kids get up to go share a testimony about Jesus Christ. And I sat there. And uh, I was sitting in the chair. And the next thing I know, I was sitting there holding onto the bottom of it. Because I was determined I wasn't going up. And I don't know if you guys have had this experience at some point when you first met Christ. I knew that there was a pulling on my heart. But I just, I didn't want to let go. And to this day, if you ask me what happened, I would say, somebody kicked me in the seat of my pants. (laughs) Because the next thing I knew... I was out of my seat, standing in that line. And I wasn't just standing in the line. I was the last person in the line. And so all these people are ahead of me, and I'm sitting there thinking, what? You, know, you can't go sit down now. I mean, what am I going to say? And so I, I, I kept trying to formulate in my mind something to say that would sound good. And uh, pretty soon it was my turn. And I got up behind the microphone, and that little speech that I had all prepared, my mind just went blank. My mind went blank, and I started talking. To this day, I don't know what I said, but after I said what I said, uh, people came up to me, and they said, wow, we've never heard anything like that before. I didn't remember what I had said, but I remembered that was the starting point for my walk with God. At that point, I was now on the same side of the fence as Kay was. And I felt like God was giving my life direction, that I had a reason for living. We graduated, went to La Sierra. At the time, it was Loma Linda University. Kay took nursing. I was pre-med. Oh, in case you're wondering, the K that I'm talking about is the K that's sitting right back over here. So, yeah, I've known her since the sixth grade. Um, 
I, I, uh, I was pre-med, I was a chemistry major, and uh, my life had been kind of set in place for, for decades, I mean for years, not decades, I wasn't decades old yet. Um, I was kind of told I was going to be a doctor. That was the, the plan for my life. And so I went to La Sierra with that plan in mind. Kay and I started dating as seniors. About the second year at La Sierra, we uh, were out on a walk one afternoon talking about our lives, you know, where we thought God was taking us. And Kay says to me, I really feel God has called me to be a pastor's wife. Uh-huh. Really? Are you... See, see she, was, she was in nursing at the time, but that doesn't matter. You can still be a pastor's wife and be a nurse. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that, that's not working out of my plan. I, I, and I started trying to think of a comeback, and I said, well, does being a missionary doctor count? I thought maybe that, that would count for something, you know. Much to her credit uh, and much to God's leading, she married me anyway. Uh, got married before I started my senior year at Loma Linda, and... Uh, La Sierra campus, and it was still all about being a doctor, and I finished up, graduated from college, started medical school, got accepted to Loma Linda, and it was just something that just didn't fit. I don't know if it was my own immaturity, I don't know if it was God just putting a distaste for the whole thing in my mind, but somehow I just... Being a doctor did not seem like that was what I was supposed to do. Now, mind you, up to this whole point in time, I'd been planning my life out. This is what I'm supposed to do. Never really, I, I, to this day, I don't ever remember asking God, God, do you want me to be a doctor? I don't ever remember that. I just remember getting in Loma Linda, and about two-thirds of the way through my first year, I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you stop and think about this for a minute. Here I was, I had full tuition paid, not one penny out of my pocket that I have to pay for my medical school education, and I cashed it all in. But I liked medicine, I, I liked the, the sciences, and so I, I, my journey took me back to the south, to Nashville, Tennessee, where I went to Vanderbilt University and got a degree in medical technology and then uh, worked for a year after I finished that at Madison Hospital. You know when God's working on you, how you have that kind of thing inside of you, you just feel restless and like there's something that's just not right yet? Well, that was how I was feeling. And so one weekend, my wife and I took off and we went to uh, uh, the Smoky Mountains, Great Smoky Mountains, to go camping. And while on that camping trip, we met God in a completely different way than I'd ever met him before. And I, I realized, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I gave my life to him. But when I was at that point in my life, I surrendered my life to him. See, and there's a difference. You know, we, we can give our lives to Jesus and say, you know, do your thing in my life. And we can still walk and do our own thing. 
But there comes a point in time where you have to, where, where God confronts you and you have to say, are you with me 100% or not? Because what I have learned over the years, you can be 95% devoted to God, that's 5% short. God wants all of you. And I realized that he wanted all of me. And at that point in time, I was a year out of school, had graduated, I was a year out of school, and uh, Kay and I got on our knees and prayed. And, and it was really my prayer, but it was her prayer also. God, whatever you want to do with our lives, we're up for it. We'll do it. Wherever you want us to go, we will go. Whatever you want us to say, we will say. We are committed 100% for you to do your thing in our life. And about two weeks later, my whole life turned upside down after praying that prayer. Now, you know there's a, uh, there's a pathway to certain jobs. Donald Trump obviously did not follow that pathway. Uh, if you want to be in charge of somebody or be in charge of something, you've got to go through the steps. You know, before you can become a conference president, you're usually a secretary in the conference, and before you're a secretary in the conference, you're a ministerial guy. Before that, you, you know, there's a whole, you don't just go from the bottom and hit the, hit the mother load in one, one leap. But that's what happened to me. I was a bench tech working in Madison Hospital for a year, and through a set of unbelievable circumstances, I was called to become the chief technologist in a county hospital lab in East Tennessee. I went from the bottom to the top in one jump after one year of school. I got a position that was over people that had applied for the position that had 15 and 20 years of experience. That was a God thing. I didn't know it at the time, but that move put me in close proximity to a minister that maybe some of you know the name, uh, Glenn Kuhn. You heard that name? ABCs of Bible Prayer. He lived 50 miles down the road from our house. My wife and I, along with another couple that were in our class, medical a medical a doctor and his wife, who was my wife's roommate during uh, nursing school, had come to the same area, and together, we started a little church kind of just like this little church, and uh, we had held meetings in the town, and, and I started getting involved in church stuff, still working at the hospital, but then I started getting into this book more than I ever had before. Uh, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and spend four hours every morning before I go to work just reading and studying, asking God to show me what he wanted me to do. And he started laying a burden on my heart of sharing the good news that I was learning with other people. And so I started a Bible study group uh, at the hospital with different hospital staff personnel that wanted to study the Bible. On our lunch break, noon break, we'd get together in a, in a conference room and we'd have a Bible study for an hour. And it was just unbelievable. And then God started saying to me, Tom, I want you to be more involved. And our pastor was one of those three church district type pastors. 
that uh, he's there. Uh, how, you, are you here every week? Twice a week. So twice a month. And then, and then on the alternate month, somebody else is here, right? Or somebody else takes charge. Well, it's the same way with us. And so the pastor asked me, Would you, could you preach for me next week? And I thought, are you kidding me? See, while I love Jesus, I was scared to death of people. I, by the graciousness of my speech teacher in college, I passed with a D minus, only as a gift. I could not speak to save my life without my knees knocking and my voice quivering. I was terrified. And God is saying, Tom, I want you to be a preacher. And I said, I told you a long time ago that I'd do whatever you wanted me to do, and I'd go wherever you wanted me to go. This definitely wasn't on the agenda when I said that. But if you want me to do that, I will do that. But you've got to do one thing in return for me. You've got to take the fear out of my heart. Because I, I, I was gripped with fear. You have no idea. When I prayed that prayer and I got up to preach that sermon, from that point, which was now about 40 years ago, I have never had one ounce of fear in my heart to get up and share the good news with anybody. And it started with a, a, a group that was maybe 20 in number, and before long, I was speaking to 500, 1,000. It didn't matter. God gave me the freedom of fear to communicate the good news of the gospel. That's the, the miracle of how I got started. And it's been 38 years of miracles ever since. Um, so we started working with uh, Glenn Kuhn as one of his associate speakers. And he, because he had so many appointments, he couldn't possibly meet them all. So he had teams of other guys that would go out, and he had all of his material on, on uh, at that time it was VCR uh, tapes and whatnot. And we would present those, and then we would share also. And so we were on one team, and, and we went out, and we did that for two years. We lived in a 35-foot trailer, traveled all over the country, started in, uh, started in West Virginia, and finally ended up in Montana. And uh, Montana was the end of our itinerary. Didn't know what was going to happen after Montana. And so the last Sabbath, of the last series of meetings that we were doing was in Bozeman, Montana, home to the conference office for Montana Conference. And on the particular Sabbath that I was speaking, the conference president happened to be in attendance that Sabbath. He wasn't supposed to be, but his appointment canceled and he ended up there. And he heard me speak, he heard me share my story. And the next day, Sunday morning, they were having a conference executive committee, and he stopped by our trailer, and he says, would you be interested 
from staying on and pastoring in this conference. And I said, well, I hadn't had any other plans. Uh, if that's what God wants for me, yeah, I'd be interested. And uh, by the end of the day, we had our first appointment in a, in a, to help a pastor in a poor church district in Montana. And that's where I started, um, which is really interesting to me. Because when I look back on my life, I have realized that life's highest achievement is when you can know what God has called you for. There is no other higher achievement that you can accomplish. When you know what your life on earth is all about, what God's purpose is. But I want to tell you something. He leads everybody differently. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're old or young. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're educated or not educated. It doesn't matter whether you have hair or don't have hair. You know, And I haven't had hair for quite a while. The point is, God has a plan. And when you get on his plan, you know what you experience? You experience what Paul talked about in Philippians 4. You experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I spent 38 years in pastoral ministry. I never took theology in school. Never went to Andrews University. I was an outsider that God called to, to share the gospel. Uh, that doesn't mean I haven't learned. I mean, I've gone to all kinds of seminars and classes since then. But uh, somebody asked me, what's your educational background? B.A. in chemistry. You know, go figure. Medical technologist. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what kind of knowledge you have, you know what God is looking for? He's not looking for your ability. He could care less about your ability. What he cares about is your availability. And, and if you're available to be used by him, then he will take you and put you exactly where he wants you to be. How does a person like me end up where I've been is beyond me, except that I know God. And I know that God takes people that are willing to be used, and he uses them. For most of my life growing up, it was, I want to do my own thing. I'm going to seek my own education. I'm going to go down the pathway that I want to go down. I want to become what I want to become. And I just ask you for a moment to stop and think, what if God says, I don't want you doing what you think you want to be doing. I want you doing something else. And how God has worked during my life, imperceptibly, step by step, he doesn't just throw it all on you at once. If he had hit me on this when I was in college, I would have probably said no because of my fear for talking to people, my fear of speaking in front of, in public speaking. But God waited until I had submerged myself long enough in his word and that word is what gave me the courage to step out boldly. And it's the same word that uh, uh, enabled the disciples, after Jesus went back to heaven, to pray that God would give them even more boldness for him. I can tell you today, that 
night, Friday night at Pine Springs Ranch, when I gave my heart initially to Jesus Christ, I've never looked back. I have never once regretted that decision. My life started with him at that point. And incredibly, as I look upon how patient he is, I mean, I've gone on all kinds of detours. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> it's just really, I have to hold back from just telling you story after story after story. But the point here that I want to leave you with, God feels that way about every one of you. You know that? He looks at your life. I don't care how you see your own life. He looks at your life as someone that can make a difference for his kingdom. It doesn't all happen at once. But there's a promise I want to close on. It's found in Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, God, who began the good work in you, will finish it before he returns. So, wherever you're at in life, life is not about you. It's about God. And if you commit yourself to him 100%, you will live the most fulfilled life you could ever hope to live. And I believe that with all my heart. Let's pray. God, I have nothing but glory and honor in my life to give to you for what you have done, how merciful you've been to me, how gracious you've been to me, how you have given me gifts that I never possessed for the sole purpose of spreading your good news about salvation through Jesus Christ. And I pray today for those that have heard this message that uh, you will speak to their hearts as well. Satan always comes in and tries to discourage us, say, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. With God, I can do all things through Jesus Christ, who gives me the strength. We just need to come to a point, God, where we look at this world, we look at who you are and what we are, and we just say yes to you. God, yes, you can have all of me, and you can do with me what you want to do with me. Use me to your honor and to your glory is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.